Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4 as we continue our study through this fascinating book. As you are turning there, let me set a couple scenarios for you. So maybe some uh, people, some of you, maybe come to church on a regular basis. You come uh, because your spouse likes you to come, and that's cool that you're here. You come maybe because it sets a good moral example for your children. Perhaps it's just a habit you developed from childhood. You, uh, you come to church, you know the people, but you just don't know the Lord. You have learned the Christian lingo well. You have mastered Christianese. You know how and when to say, praise the Lord. And you know the best way to end any conversation with a Christian. You know what it is? Hey, I got to go, but I'll be praying for you. (laughs) You know the language. You just don't know the Lord. You're a teen or a young adult. Man, you love Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. You love Tuesday evening young adults group. You wouldn't miss a high school retreat. But you are missing out completely on a personal relationship a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. One old writer calls this person the almost Christian. Close. Come to church for whatever reason. Sing the songs. Enjoy the songs. Enjoys the fellowship. Depends on the network of friends. But never trusted in Jesus Christ. Truly trusted in Christ. As as their personal Savior. The The almost Christian is so close. And yet so, so far away. That's what this passage begins to talk about. As we today end the second warning passage that we started last time. Chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, we had to stop right there because when you see the word therefore, what's going to be said is always based on what was said. Therefore uh, is a word that takes us back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. There the writer told us about Psalm 95, and there the children of Israel came out of Egypt. They were rescued from slavery. They crossed the, the Red Sea. They're doing all those things, and right after they crossed the Red Sea, what did they start doing? They start complaining. Thankfully, that ended in the Old Testament. It doesn't happen today. They started complaining, and then they rebelled, and their rebellion turned to to total distrust in God, final unbelief. We see in chapter 3, verse 19, so we see that those that they were unable to enter the promised land, unable to enter the promised land because of their unbelief, that final unbelief. Therefore, based on the fact That God had given these people everything they needed. He had demonstrated His mighty work. He had given them manna from heaven. He had parted the sea. He delivered them from slavery. He had done all those things for them. Based on that, they still didn't get in the promised land. And so the writer says, don't let that happen to you. 
Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, it's still available, it's still there, still waiting for you, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The word fear in the Greek is the first word of the sentence because it is there for emphasis. Let us fear that this doesn't happen to us. Let us fear that while we still have time, we fail to reach the land, the rest that God has for us. Let's think about it this way. Let's say we're flying to... Orlando, Florida. We're going to fly. To, we're going to go see our friends in the Bear. You guys want to do that? I think, yeah. All of our staff says, let us go to Florida. We want to see what's going on down there. So we're going to fly to the Bear. We're going to fly to Orlando. So we know what time the plane leaves, right? We know where we live and how long it takes us to get uh, to the airport. We know if we're going to park and either walk Uh, up to the the security area, or we're going to take the shuttle. We know how much time that takes. We we know how long it takes us to get through security. Then we know we got to get on that tram, and we got to head out to the gates. We we know how much time it's going to take us, and we know our plane leaves. We know all those things, and we we what? We miss the plane. We, We fail to reach our goal. We fail to reach our destination. That's the almost Christian. They, they know when the plane leaves. They know how to get there. They know what they got to do to get there. But at the end of the day, they don't get it done. And the writer says, that should cause in us a terror. That should cause in us a fear that we would have all this for us and miss the trip. Look at verse 2. For the good news came to us. So the writer's saying the good news came to believers just like it came to them. So here's the here's Christian and almost Christian. Both get the news, but the message they heard didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Here's the Christian. They heard the news. Here's the uh, the almost Christian. They heard the news, but there's no benefit to them because they did not unite what they knew, what they heard. They did not unite the message with saving faith. Now, let's think about that. What is saving faith? Let's take some time to think about this. This is critical. There are different types of faith. One is, we could call it a temporal faith. I met with a, a couple years ago and uh, wanted to see where they were spiritually. So I said, tell me about your spiritual journey. And they started talking about stuff. And I said, tell me about, have you, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? And the wife said, yeah, well, yeah, I have. I said, well, tell me about it. Well, here's what happened. Um, uh, we, uh, um, we were running behind on our mortgage and uh, I prayed, and I trusted that God would help us with our mortgage. And some things happened financially, and we were able to pay our mortgage. And some people think that's faith, saving faith. Now, that's cool, 
But that's not saving faith. That's a temporal faith. You pay your mortgage in March, you're going to have to pay your mortgage in April again. If God provides you something temporal, you can say, thank you, Lord, for doing that. But the car is going to rust, going to rot, going to decay. That's temporal stuff. That's um, temporal faith. Then there's one. One old writer calls it a sailor's faith. So I'm out on the boat, right? I'm sailing the ship. The waters are calm. I got it under control. I'm headed my way. I'm doing it my way, headed my direction, headed to my destination. But then a storm kicks up. And man, it's like going crazy out there. And I think I'm going to go down. And so I cry out to God, save me. I'll do anything. I'll be a missionary to Africa. I'll be a pa- I would even be a pastor. I would even give more money to, I mean, that desperate, I'll give more money to the church to save me. And then the water calms down, right? And we say, whew, I overreacted a little bit. I had it all, I had it all along. I didn't need God as much as I thought I did. Now I'm back to doing my own thing, right? Sailor's faith. That's not saving faith. Here at the Bible Chapel, we use this acronym for saving faith. The word, all you guys know this, C-A-N-T, can't with a K, all right? So this is important. Let's go through this. You know it? What's the K? Well, some of you know it. Okay, well, I guess we'll review it again. Knowledge, good. Knowledge. So we know Jesus came. He was a man of history. That's undeniable. Even secular works tell us that. We read the Bible, so we know he died on the cross for our sin. We know he came, taught, healed, miracles, died on the cross for our sin. We know the Bible says he was raised from the dead. We know that. That's right here, right? Just like we know when the plane leaves. That's the knowledge. The A is what? Agreement. So now... We know these things. Now we agree to them. We agree that Jesus came, that he was the Son of God. We knew it. Now we agree. Uh, we agree that if we trust in Christ, then he will save us from our sins. We agree that his work on the cross paid the penalty for our sins. So not only do we know it intellectually, now we assent to it in our heart. What's the end? Need. I believe that every person who comes to Christ, God uh, creates this need in their heart. It happens in different ways. It may, ha- it may happen out on that stormy sea. And that sailor's faith may become saving faith because you realize, God, you did save me. You, you protected me from that. I see it a lot of times when young couples have uh, children. And a little baby's born. And they think, man, this is a responsibility. This is, this is going to, this is bigger than us. This is a legacy. I got to get serious about it. Sometimes God uses that. I don't know how, I don't know what God used or will use in your life, but there's a need. Now, you can have all the knowledge in the world. 
There are people who know the Bible backwards and forwards. They're not believers. You can even agree that all, yeah, it all works. You can even say, yeah, I get it, I need, but still not be a Christian, an almost Christian. What's the T? Trust. I come to the point in my life where I trust in Jesus Christ alone as the only one who can place me in a relationship with the living God. I'm not trusting in myself anymore. I know I'm a sinner. I am broken, and I will always be broken. But Jesus came and did for me what I cannot do for myself. He died on a cross for my sin, and I place my faith in Him. I trust in Him. So if we're going to go on a car trip, forget the plane trip. Let's go on a car trip, all right? I know I, got, I, know I need gas in a car. Uh, I, I, I know where I'm headed. I know my destination. I know when I get in the car, I know how to drive the thing. I know how to steer the wheel and push the pedal and the brake. So I can know all those things. I can agree that I need to take the trip. I can even agree the need, why I need to take the trip. But until I get in the car and actually access the things I know to be true, I'm not taking the trip. Some of you are almost Christians. You're three-fourths of the way there. But you've never come to that point when you have submitted your life to Christ. And when you do, you will see a spiritual heartbeat in your heart. You're going to see something taking place in your life. There will be change there. Look at verse 3. For those who have believed, enter the rest. We'll talk about the rest here in a second. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Talking about the children of Israel. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Now, what, what, what's, what's going on here? The writer is saying, just as the unbelieving Israelites failed to enter the promised land due to their unbelief, anyone who fails to trust in Christ will not enter the eternal rest of heaven. God's grace, God's grace is good for us until that final breath. And then when that's over, it is over. Final unbelief. It is urgent that we trust in Christ. Back to verse 1. While the promise of entering his rest still stands. Look at verses 6 and 7. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of their disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today's the day. Don't harden your hearts. So some would say, well, you know what? I'm going to trust in Christ. I, I, got, I got this all worked out. 
Some of you come from a background uh, where you would say, you know, after I die, I still got some other opportunity because there's this holding tank place called purgatory. And I'm going to spend some time there and not going to be pleasant, but I'm going to spend some time there and then I'm going to get prayed out of that. All right? That is found absolutely no place in Scripture. None. Hebrews chapter uh, 9, verse 27 is very clear. It is appointed one uh, is appointed for man once to what? To die. And after that, judgment. No second chance. Some of you say, nah, I'm not, I'm not a purgatory person, but um, I got it covered. I'm, I'm going to trust in Christ before I die. Because I'm pretty young right now. And uh, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my I'm gonna live my life my way. I'm gonna sow my wild oats, right? I got life to live. I want to experience life. I want to I want to do the things I want to do. I'll get serious later on. Well, good luck with that. Because when is later on? And who has a guarantee? And no one in this room has a guarantee. We're gonna be here this afternoon. Others will say, you know what, I agree, that's too risky. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to take out fire insurance. I'm going to sign the card. I'm going to pray that prayer. I'm going to walk down that aisle. I'm going to do the things I'm supposed to do. Raise my hand. But it makes no difference in your life whatsoever. If you are in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 17 says, you're a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. There has to be some transformation on there. Fire insurance is not found in the gospel. It is a loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that changes your life. When it's real, it changes your life. There is a heartbeat. There is a spirit. If you could get hooked up to a spiritual heartbeat monitor... Uh, some of you would, you know, it'd be looking like, I don't know, is this, would this be good if it was doing, I don't know, whatever would be good on the monitor, right? It would be like this or whatever would be good. And then some of you, like the barely little, little bleep, right? Just barely alive. But you'd be alive spiritually. You'd be there. You're alive. But the almost Christian, just flatline. There's no life. You can sign as many cards as you want. You can walk down as many aisles as you want. Until Christ changes your life, you're still an almost Christian. Others, others just say, who cares? Who really cares? Some of you may here, be here today for whatever reason. Who cares? Remember uh, Ted Turner? We don't hear a lot about him anymore. Founder of CNN. Used to own the Atlanta Braves. He spoke to the National Press Club. Here's what he said. Heaven is perfect. Who wants to go to a place that's perfect? Boring, boring. And then he told all his press club friends when they get to hell together, he said, we're going to have a chance to make things better because hell is supposed to be a mess. One old writer said, sinners in hell are not the fools they are on earth. 
The horrors of hell leave no room for humor. So where are you going? Heaven or hell? You going through the motions? Almost Christian? Fire insurance? Where are you with Jesus Christ? Only you can answer that question. Look at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So what the writer is now saying, okay, if Joshua had given the children of Israel rest, if, if entering the promised land, if that had been the rest God, if that physical blessing was the rest God was talking about, then he wouldn't have talked of another rest after that. Look at verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let's just think through this. The writer is saying the rest that God gives is not primarily temporal blessings, although God does bless us with temporal things, and that's great. We, his faithfulness to us. But it's not primarily temporal blessings, just like it wasn't primarily for the children of Israel just to get into the promised land. It was more than that. God gives us, God gives believers a spiritual rest, a rest or a peace of our souls that we can experience and enjoy throughout eternity. Temporal blessings are great gifts from God, but they will eventually go away. They rot, they decay, they spoil. But the rest that God gives never goes away. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. That's why you see people striving for everything. That's why all these religions in the world, right? That's why you see people knocking themselves out for uh, material things. Because there's something in their heart that's bigger than them. They can't figure it out, so they got to fill it with something. So let's go get some more stuff to fill it. Or a position, or a possession, or some guys, women, right? Relationships, conquering. Or ladies, um, the stability of a relationship. A relationship with the man. I don't know what it is for you, but God has placed in our heart eternity. It, it's something we can't fill on our own. We just try to fill it on our own. All kinds of things. But God said, I got something better for you. I, got, I have this thing called Sabbath rest just for you. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. God rested on his works, right? On the seventh day. God rested because after creating the world for six days, he was exhausted. Can you imagine? He was so tired that he said, I got to take a break. It wasn't, that's not talking about a physical rest, is it? God didn't, God didn't, God didn't get tired. So what's this rest that he did? The rest on the seventh day meant his work was complete. It was perfect. It was just like he wanted it. He ceased from the work of creation because it was 
just the way he wanted it, complete and perfect. That's what the rest on the seventh day meant. Everything he desired to do at creation, he did. The Sabbath rest indicated a peace, a harmony between God and his perfect creation. And we see that in Genesis 1 and 2. And then what comes after Genesis 2? Genesis 3. Every time. Every time. (laughs) And sin in Genesis 3 broke the perfect peace. And man was ashamed. And he ran from God. And he hid from God. And we've been running and hiding from God ever since. And instead of the rest of history becoming a history of the Sabbath rest, what happened? It became a history of the Savior's rescue. From the history of a Sabbath rest to the story of a Savior's rescue, Jesus came. In the Old Testament, God said, on the seventh day, just like I rested because the work was complete, on the seventh day, I want you to rest. I don't want you to do any work because I want you to depend on me. All those other shopkeepers, they're going to be opening their store, and you're going to be thinking, man, i got to keep working to get ahead. i got to keep working, but I want you to depend on me. I'm the one who provides for you. All those other farmers, they're going to be out working their fields. And you're going to think, oh my goodness, what if it rains tomorrow? How am I going to get in the fields? But you've got to depend on me. I want you to take that day to depend on me. You rest in me. I'm your provider. I'm the one who sustains you. That's what the Sabbath rest was about. Now, it's good to be physically rested up. I get that. Yeah, that's, that's it too. But mainly, the Sabbath rest. Here's what it was in the Old Testament. The Sabbath rest was a weekly reminder that the people of God enjoyed his temporal and spiritual blessings apart from human works. It was a reminder. This is about me. It's not about you. It's apart from human works. I'm going to give you everything I need. Look at verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, how does the Sabbath rest of the Old Testament work for us? It's very simple. In the New Testament, Jesus becomes, is our Sabbath rest. Through Jesus, we cease from our works It's Jesus who paid the penalty for our sins. It's Jesus who did it all for us. It's Jesus who provided for us. It's Jesus who sustains us. We cease from our human efforts and we trust in Jesus alone. We trust in Jesus Christ to become a Christian. That's called justification. We are justified through Christ. We trust in Christ in this journey through life with all its ups and downs called sanctification. We trust in Christ and we trust in Christ in this thing called heaven, glorification. He's the one who delivers us there. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. In the Old Testament, the, all the law is summed up in the Ten Commandments, right? Don't know gods before me, no idols, don't take God's name in vain, honor your father and mother, don't lie, don't steal, don't covet, don't commit adultery. The fourth commandment is, remember what? The Sabbath to keep it holy. In the New Testament, every commandment is repeated 
restated, reinstituted, except for one. What is it? Number four. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Why? Because Jesus is the completion of the Sabbath rest. He is our Sabbath rest. In Jesus, we finally and forever enjoy rest. Apart from works. In Jesus, we finally enjoy forgiveness. In Jesus, we finally enjoy peace. In, Je- in Jesus, we finally en- enjoy the relationship that we've been striving for and longing for. We rest in Jesus now, and our final rest will be with Him forever in heaven. He is our Sabbath rest. Is He your Sabbath rest? Are you resting in Him alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God? If you're not, you're not a Christian. And if you've been hanging around church a long time, you're an almost Christian. I beg you today, stop your apathy, almost Christian, your complacency, your pretending. Stop pretending. Put off, stop putting off the most important relationship decision in your life. Okay, so how many of you know, who can tell me who this picture is? Well, okay. So, who can read? That's really the question, right? William McKinley, who can tell me what number president he was? 25, right. 25th president of the United States. 1901, he's at the Pan-American Exposition in Buffalo. He's in a receiving line when an assassin comes and shoots him twice. Rushed to a large first aid station at the exposition. At the first aid station, there's kind of a makeshift hospital. And in that hospital, there was an operating room. And they operated on McKinley there. The first bullet grazed a rib, was deflected, and exited his body. They cleaned that up, and then they looked for the second bullet. They couldn't find it. It's lodged somewhere in his stomach. They wasted no time. They cut open his abdomen. They uh, tried to find the bullet. They couldn't find it. They saw where it had gone through uh, some intestines. They, they, they sewed up the intestines in those areas. They couldn't find the bullet. Never did. They figure later it was lodged somewhere in his back. He grew weaker and weaker. He's losing blood. And so they said, he's going to die if we, if we keep this up. So they sewed him up and hoped for the best. And McKinley was taken to a present or, or um, a private residence in Buffalo to recuperate. And a week later, he died of gangrene caused by that bullet that they couldn't get out and couldn't clean the infection. Most people think if they had been able to find that bullet and clean it, then McKinley would have lived. At that same exposition, 1901, not far from the shooting, there was a new invention. You know what it was called? The x-ray machine. It was primitive, but most people believe if that x-ray machine had been used on McKinley, they would have been able to locate the bullet get it out, 
clean that up and uh, saved his life. So close and yet so far away. Sin is a bullet lodged in every human heart causing infection that separates us from God and the infection the the gangrene of sin eventually causes eternal death but God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to take the bullet for us Jesus died so we could live and through Christ that spiritual surgery is done. The sin that separates us from God is removed. Jesus took it. He took care of it. He took the bullet. The wound is cleaned through forgiveness. And we can enter into that present Sabbath rest and our future Sabbath rest because of Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're an almost Christian, Man, today's the day. Today is the day. Stop pretending. While there is still time, today's the day to trust in Christ. We're going to stand here. We're going to go off to our other campuses and let the worship teams lead the last song there. We're going to stand here, and Kirk is going to lead us in a song. We're going to ask our elders and pastoral staff in this service to come down front. If you'd like to come and pray during the song, you're welcome to do that. If you'd like to come and pray after the song, you're welcome to do that. But I, I beg you, if you don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, today's the day. I'm going to say one more thing before Kirk sings. I grew up in a church that did not hold to eternal security. And so when I was growing up, I didn't know, I didn't have assurance of salvation. That's a tough way to grow up. And so that has been for me uh, just um, a doctrine that I love to teach because it just changed my, I was a Christian, but it just changed my life. It gave me the freedom, right? And so I love teaching about eternal security. But I got to tell you, there is one thing worse than growing up not understanding eternal security. You know what that is? An almost Christian. Thinking you have eternal security and you don't. Because you signed a card, because you walked an aisle, but there is absolutely no spiritual life in your life. And you know it. God's telling you that right now. So today's the day to make it short. To know that you know that you know. If you died right now. Spend eternity in heaven. Do you know that? Do you know that for certain? That if you die right now, you would spend eternity in heaven. If you don't, today is the day to make that certain.